Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. So long we have been talking about branding and upping the game of emergency management across the field. We've addressed the topics of lack of definition. We've created a definition. Emergency management is strategic coordination of emergency services. We've addressed issues like first responder versus second responder and how that's BS and how we are, are if we're getting the call in the middle of the night, of course, we're first responders. All that stuff. We are addressing the fact that we need to move on from moldable clay to determining what we are as a field so that our stakeholders can recognize us, know who we are when we show up on scene, appreciate what we can do. And a big, big, big part of that is recognizing that we need to have brand consistency. We need to up our game on, you know, even our presentation style. How many times have we said death by PowerPoint? Well, sometimes I die just by looking at what's on the screen, let, let alone the 87 slides that we have to go through. So with all that in mind, I have asked a couple of experts who have been helping me out on the Readiness Lab with Doberman, all things. They're really, really great designers. They are the founders of Noble Creative Co. Noble is going to be on this podcast, these founders, Landon and CJ in a second. And I just want you to think about what they're saying and how it applies to you, whether you're in the public sector and you have some brand standards, or you're trying to create challenge coins, or you're in the private sector and you work for a big corporation like Nike, and they're telling you what 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 you can do. Across the spectrum, we all need to up our game, and they're going to talk about how to do that. So right now, I'm going to add Landon and CJ to the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on the, sh- on the show right now. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, all right. Uh, Noble Creative Collective. Oops. Uh, you got to make sure <laughs> we get co- that one right. Yeah, yeah, you guys are cool. Co-works. Yeah, you're the co. Um, so uh, even before we started podcasting, this is like how detailed these guys are. It's really great. So I had my name. If you're looking at the YouTube video, like I had my name, and then I had podcast host under it. And they even had differences of like how they put that on there. And so they had a quick discussion. Got a brand consistency here. So I just appreciate you guys' level of detail and making things look so much better. Um, and, and from like all aspects. And so before we even get into the podcast recording perspective, right, of like what we're trying to the, the meat of the conversation is why for you is design so important? Like, why did you get into design? Yeah, I think, you know, um, at the end of the day, design is about visual communication. It's it's design is like everything around us. You know, we uh, when you drive down the street and you see a road sign, that's graphic design. When you uh, you know, are looking for directions. That's graphic design. It's everything is designed. Every app that you use is designed. And so it's really important to communicate clearly. And, you know, you mentioned strategy earlier. Strategy 100% applies to design as well. And it's uh, important that design is strategic. Um, mm. And so for us, I think what well, I'll speak for myself. What really drew me to design is, you know, there's an artistic aspect to it. And I think a lot of people just think design is fun. You know, it's just a fun art, artsy, you know, medium. But um, what I also like about it is that strategic part. Um, it's really problem solving. You know, hmm. we we take design problems. So things that um, challenges that arise out in the world and we find a way to design it so that people can understand things better. Hmm. Um so yeah, at the end of the day, I say visual communication um, is a big part of that. And I think uh, another part of that too is, you know, when you think of like um, branding, 
branding is like, you know, often associated with just a logo, you know, like, oh, I need a new brand. And it's really you just want a logo. And, mm. um, you know, a logo is a part of branding and it's an important part of branding. And I kind of refer to it as like the the face of the brand. You know, it's kind of mm. like what you see first, what you interact with first and what you um, wh what you feel first, you know. But a brand is really so much more than that. And a brand, uh, if you think of, of brands like uh, I was, we were just talking to a client the other day about um, the San Diego Zoo and how the, that zoo is so much more than just a, a zoo. And it's so much more than just a logo. And our client described it as like Disneyland for, you know, uh, zoos. Mm. It's like there's there's so much that goes into it from the way that you interact with people you know, the uh, people that are uh, on the grounds, you know, talking to you, asking if you need help to the merchandise, to the logo, to the way the exhibits are displayed. All of that creates a brand. And so a brand is really like the feeling of mm. um, an organization or a company. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's disaster tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Okay, let's jump back in. I'm going to go pull back here real quick because you said that it's like problem solving and strategic. Yeah. That's like emergency management 101. And yet somehow emergency managers are, I'm calling everybody out, so, <laughs> so, so bad at this. <laughs> like we all like problem solving and we like communication. We talk about communication is so important. And yet, when when I hired you guys, I was showing you examples of what was in the field. I was like, this is what we have to work with. Right. And immediately, immediately was like, no. Like, <laughs> like it, it like hurt to look at, right? Yeah. And I don't think, I. funny enough, I actually don't know. We should probably do a survey. If emergency managers are aware of it or they are not aware of it. And if they are aware of it, they don't have the time. They have so many other things on their plate and they... They don't have a template, funny enough, to follow down um, to make really amazing things following a brand. Or they're like, oh, it's just some artsy thing. Oh, why isn't anybody interacting with my post? I don't <laughs> right. know. You, you tell me. You know, right. so it's yeah. uh, an interesting, uh, you know, dual problem. And maybe after this podcast, maybe all emergency managers, because they like that problem solving, they'll leave the field and finally do something fun like design. Uh, so. <laughs> It's going to really backfire in a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I think, you know, just like you would, you know, plan, plan things out from an emergency manager standpoint, um, you know, that's how we approach design too. We, we kind of plan, um, you know, we, we do our research at the beginning. We try to understand, again, the problem, especially mm -hmm. when it does come to branding. You know, we try to understand, like, what are we trying to accomplish here? Because we have no goal if we have nothing that we're trying to accomplish. Mm. Then there's really no point. You know, we're just kind of just drawing and making fun stuff. So uh, there has to be kind of a goal. And we'll kind of touch on that um, a little bit later, too. But um, yeah. yeah, 
I think I think one of the big things too that a lot of people actually get wrong with branding, it happens very early on, is they try to solve the wrong problem and then they go too far with the wrong problem. So one Wait, thing CJ. is they go on the wrong problem. I could use that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so that's one of the big things is like, especially in Brandon, you, we find that a lot of people want to solve their problem, but what you have to solve is your audience's problem. It's not, Ooh, I love like, that. your brand should be what you want, but you should entice the audience because that's, who's going to make your brand, your brand. So hmm. um, as much as you need to visually like it, um, you know, it, it has to resonate. So like, I think that's where it kind of goes wrong is where you'll see when people do branding and they're like, well, I want it to be red. I'm like, yeah, but like, if that doesn't resonate with the people who you want this brand to be for, red's not going to work. So you need to really think about these problems. And I think that's where design really uh, speaks to me because I love solving problems, but you, you know, figuring out the problem is like the first big step. Yeah. When, so I don't know if the audience is aware of this or not, but my wife is also a professional graphic designer and uh, has a lot of accolades to her name as well. And uh, maybe we should have her on here sometime. Um, but the the um, the challenge coin that we made for the national strike team, they had asked me because they knew about my wife to design the coin. And um, there was a, the team lead was, a narcissist and um we had made four versions and three of the versions were for communicating the to the audience of who'd be given given the coin to and just like creating that feeling and one coin was like a nod to texas had nothing to do with what we were doing <laughs> and um lo and behold who knew the team lead had 51 percent of the vote and that's the coin we went with and um you know but at the same time, it got the coin made, right? And so there was there's some strategic approach there. Now the coin does look kind of cool because of course my wife designed it. But you know, thinking about the audience and who's gonna choose that, so many people want to and, and even in, you know, I've had this same problem. I've had to like work through that emotionally, even of like, oh, I think this looks really amazing. The audience has no idea what this means, right? Right. And so trying to convey that. How do you like when you were walking through the design process, that discovery phase, CJ, and there is, when you get a client, like let's say some emergency manager at a county, like it has to be X, it has to be Y, it has to be, you know, ones and zeros. And you're looking at it, and you're like, ooh, this doesn't make sense. From a communication standpoint, from a design standpoint, how do you communicate that to them? Or how would, how do you go about helping them understand, like, hey, there's a different perspective? Yeah, it's a great question. One thing that I always do, especially with branding, is I always start with questions and I let them hear their answers out loud so they can kind of understand the problem. Because sometimes you think of things in your head and you're like, oh yeah, this makes sense and this makes sense. But if you're asking them, okay, why are we doing this? And they say, well, because of this. And then I'm like, see, mm. you know, your X is, I want this to make sense for these people, but your Y is, but I like this. So the, those don't, those don't work. So if we need to find this, the reason for everything first, so why are you doing this branding? Why is this branding going to be good? What, what is different between this and everything else? Like, what is your goal? And then once we get those answers, we can tell them like, okay, so what you want doesn't really match what you're trying to do. And we need to find a, a center point to kind of make that work. And that's how you're going to get a, a solid foundation for a brand. And that's how you're going to get an audience. And that's how you're going to get everything. So it really starts with, asking the right questions up front 
letting them hear their thoughts out loud. Cause sometimes even for me, if I'm, you know, if I'm thinking about something, it's one thing, but if I'm saying it to myself, I'll be like, yeah, that's, that's not a good idea. Let's skip that. A good, so. a good, a good uh, way to do that is, and I can show it here on the screen. You ask the question and if it sounds stupid, you just stare at them long enough until they realize mm -hmm. it's stupid. Just like, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. so, say, say it again, say it again, but really yeah, slowly. Say, yeah, say it again really slowly. <laughs> you do that to us a lot, John. I know. Huh? You do that to familiar. us a lot. That's that's uh... weird. <laughs> and there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we we have such a, a great working relationship because you guys have learned to ask really effective questions and allow that process to happen. I have been really impressed by like, hey, I'll I'll listen to your idea. Let me show you some other ideas. Let me ask some clarifying questions. And it is true as we're working on that, as we feel like we're on the same team together, it's like, oh, right. Like I didn't think about this or I didn't think about that. And I think that's one of the benefits of emergency management in particular is allowing yourself to kind of see outside the box here for a second and work with other people. A lot of emergency managers around the country, like 90% of emergency managers are a team of one and they don't have lots of resources. And so they need to put out things to the public but I think the same, the same time, the basic questions of like, who is your audience? What is the message you want to convey? What are you hoping that they do? Right. I always bring people back to intelligence is not just data. Intelligence is data that you can action. So what is the intelligence, you know, display that you're trying to do here in terms of the visual communication? So really, really excellent points in terms of uh, creating uh, a brand or really establishing a creative brief, you know, goals, objectives, your audience, that kind of stuff. Building off of that question component, how do you actually do it? Right. Like what is, once you figure that part out, what is the next step? Yeah. Creative briefs are essentially the backbone of a project. So um, it's kind of a way for everyone's expectations to be aligned. Um, a creative yeah. brief is essentially a plan of attack for, a project that requires a decent amount of research to justify your decision making. So rather than saying, I choose red because my wife likes it, the creative beef will allow us to say, we choose red because based on our research, your target audience, they're drawn to passion and energy, but also favor other bold brands. So red is a way to catch their attention, you know? So these briefs are also a way to align you and the client on deliverable expectations, which gives clients a step-by-step -step guide on uh, when we need things as well as uh, when they're going to get things. And it saves a lot of creatives from doing more work than promised too, uh, mm. which is nice on our end. But yeah, creative briefs are like, I think they're the most vital step in a project because it kind of sets the expectation for the entire project and without a visual goal, but it sets like a verbal goal for everything. In terms of the emergency management language, we would probably call that a BOP, a branding operations plan. Hmm. <laughs> no. we might adopt, adopt that. that hold on yeah <laughs> at least somebody's gonna start laughing yeah um it, it is funny listening to you guys as you're as as we've been working together for a little while now you're starting to use vernacular that i can understand and i appreciate that so much so thinking about understanding <laughs> your audience yeah to, to kind of piggyback too on what cj mentioned you know i think one key thing that he said was you know kind of aligning everyone, aligning the creatives and aligning your uh, client. And to, to me, that kind of uh, puts the creative brief in, in the position of being like a compass for your project where you can always come back to the creative brief. It's like your, your foundation. Um, 
and it's it's good for not only us as creatives to be able to say okay does this align with what we set out to accomplish in the first place um but it also helps to helps us to defend our work and not not to say like you know clients are always on the attack but mm. it does help us when we have to explain why we made certain decisions um and it's it allows us to kind of go back to the brief and say well we made this creative choice because it it accomplishes x for uh, you know, from from the creative brief, or it accomplishes why for your audience, yeah. um, and then you know, when or if someone does come back and say, "Well, I like purple," then you can say, you know, to CJ's point, you can say, "Well, looking back at the creative brief that we all agreed on, you know, you told us these were your goals, mm. and purple doesn't align with these goals," you know. Purple's a yeah. nice color, but you know, purple communicates something that maybe your brand shouldn't be communicating. Well, let's talk about color for a second because color theory is really fascinating to consider. In 2016, I was at Georgetown and they had um, a member of the public affairs come and talk to our group. And um, I had brought up the fact that, um, you know, coming from Ohio, and it sounds trivial. It is not trivial for people in Ohio. When they come out and every poster is blue and yellow and nobody wants to put those posters up on their businesses of like, you know, because they, they did this whole launch of like preparedness in your business, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no one's going to do that in Columbus. Not a single person. Like you did it. If you do it on the rival colors, you know, you, you know, that's just not going to happen, even if they believe the message. And it's so funny. And again, it sounds trivial, but no, knowing your audience. And when I when I explained that to her, she was like, uh, I didn't know that we should have different versions. And I was like, I think that's like like even a black and white version. And you guys always start funny enough with black and light, white mm -hmm. when you build a brand. We can talk about that in a second. But like really uh, color theory really is color that pulls out emotion right gets you to do different things right absolutely we look at the easy one is right like mcdonald's like red and yellow makes you hungry makes you want to eat so and it, right. and it makes you want to go there and leave because red is like the hurry up so it's like oh yeah it's like a fast food that's why it's that's why it works for fast food because you come and then you go but you get food i wonder if we can in post-production put like all the different restaurants that have red and yellow in them. and they're fast food. i mean yeah yeah you could probably talk about that forever right <laughs> um in terms of emergency management emergency management is often trying to get people to do something safe as well as identify us as emergency managers who could do everything for everyone now at doberman or at the readiness lab, lab, rather, we've determined that that is a color. And so uh, we do that color. Obviously, we have secondary colors, like I have the white on, on the shirt, for, sec for example. But, um, you know, we determined that was black, right? And just for the audience perspective, why black? Black for emergency management is the perfect color because in, um, in the real world, it represents it's nothing like anything else, therefore black. But it's also represented in art often as representing all color therefore emergency majors can do everything for everyone so black is kind of the perfect color to convey there but funny enough you're landon you were talking about purple we were like oh maybe red and blue combining like wait but we help out other people like forest service now we're green are we brown are we this are we that and it's 
we're not UPS. Like it's, it's, it was hard to actually come up with that. Even from that perspective, when you guys, uh, if you guys are giving some advice to people who are trying to come up with branding right now, in terms of color, you always start with black and white. Can you explain what black and white and maybe color theory behind um, the, kind of the messages that can be conveyed? Yeah, I can kind of start here. We we always start with black and white because it's most important for us to establish. It's most important that a design holds up um, in black and white first. If it's too dependent on color, then it's just not going to work. And can there's a lot of one more time. That is yeah. so important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'll try to remember what I just said. Uh, if it depends on, if it de- it depends <laughs> on the color, it will not hold up. And that is so right. important. So many people come up with like slide decks. This mm-hmm. is like even just talking about like normal presentation. And now all of a sudden they have these colors that just like hurt your eyes <laughs> against the contrasting colors in the background. Right. And so like if you're building out your brand consistency, even in your slide decks, you want to make sure that, you know, your branding holds up and black and white can, can help you out with that. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll touch on this a little bit later too, but there's so many design principles that, um, you know, need to be uh, considered when you're designing as well. Um, and so, you know, it allows you to focus on those things on the lo- uh, with the logo first before even addressing color. We, you know, you kind of touched on it as well. And we, consider color to be sort of the emotion of the logo. And so it's kind of taking the emotion out of it at first, you know, and you're just looking at it objectively saying, does this work? Is it readable? Is it legible from, you know, at a small size, at a, you know, large size? Does it make sense? Does it look like something else? Like could mm-hmm. be misconstrued, you know? Um, so it really lets you kind of focus on that first um, before diving into like, all the feels, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that's, I mean, again, going, that's another reason why probably black and white is great for emergency management because we're all dead inside. And so we can't make <laughs> emotional decisions and uh, we'll, we'll cheer for that one again. Wait, yeah. uh, there's and, a lot. Um, that's, the, that's the thing too, is the color like really elicits emotion. So if we started branding with color, more often than not, a client is going to pick their favorite color and not their favorite logo. Because they're emotionally attached to something. And that's why it's important to really get like a, like a brand logo that you like first and then do that because color is really tricky. Like, and you know, what you think might look good might not look good to someone else. And if we talk about like, even if you get into like web, there are even more limitations because some web websites have like requirements for visually impaired. Um, Like for example, me, I love the orange and blue color combination because it looks super clean and super professional, but certain shades of orange and on blue just don't mesh. So you have to be sure you have like proper contrast and, you know, colors also like one of the best ways to emphasize hierarchy. So if you want to call something out, it's important. Like it's, it's an important thing. Uh, Putting it on a bold brand color may accomplish that, but if something Mm -hmm. should feel like it's secondary, like it's not an important, then adding a softer color that falls back in hierarchy can help that too. So it's really, really vital what colors you pick and how you use them because they're all going to say something different. Okay. So for the people who are listening, they're like, okay, I'm in charge of my own social media posts. I'm in charge of creating, you know, all of our presentations to senior leadership, all, all, all of that. Can you give, can maybe both of you just provide either, uh, either the hierarchy or the color, color combinations where like, okay, I'm listening to this. I have no design or color or anything background. I'm dead inside. I need to know, 
what looks good on a screen? Can you give just like maybe three, four or five examples of like, do this and this and it will look good. Can you, can you give some basic examples? Yeah. I think one thing that CJ already mentioned a little bit is, is contrast. Uh, contrast to me is one of the most important things. And, mm -hmm. you know, CJ also touched on kind of accessibility and that there may be audiences that don't see color the same way that, most people do, or they may not see, you know, um, yeah, they, they may not be able to read color, you know, the same way. So just having uh, contrast is key. And one one kind of trick that I kind of use is I try to, to stick with a um, kind of brighter color and then a darker color. That's kind of the easiest, you know, mm -hmm. way to get that contrast. But even with that, you know, to CJ's point, sometimes those color combinations don't just don't work. So finding something that um, is objectively uh, contrasting and also maybe um, running it by sort of like a, a color blind checker or something where you can ensure that people that don't see color the same way that it still contrasts well for them. When you say a colorblind checker, you're not talking about an individual, you're talking about an application or yeah, I think there's um, I, I think that there's resources available that allow you to kind of check those things. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, I know for a fact that there are contrast checkers, um, color contrast analyzers um, that are specifically used for, um, I think it's like WCA. Again, sorry, I, I'm confused. Are you when you say analyzers, are you talking about a software? Or are you talking about people who analyze? Yes, yes. The analyzer <laughs> specifically, I'm talking about a software. <laughs> okay. I'm like, you said yes, but okay. You're going to answer yeah. this question for me right now because it's driving me crazy for such a long time. Red and blue. I love both of those colors and it's such a nod to emergency services, but they look so awfully bad with each other often, unless I make that blue so incredibly dark. Right. Right. And so like even contrasting colors can again, sp very specifically here, white and black always look good together. That's it's such an either or right. Like that's such an easy one to determine. Are there other ones that are really obvious? Uh, CJ, you brought up maybe like an orange background with, uh, you know, blue text, certain blues, not like, yeah. cobalt, but yeah. And I think the key there is sort of why white and black work. So you have like the brightest and the darkest. So if you're going to have like what Landon said, if you have one color on each side, it's likely going to work. So if you have like a really dark blue and mm -hmm. a light red, that's going to sit well. But if when you, it's when you have those middle colors that are close, like the middle red and the middle blue, those things are going to vibrate like and by vibrate. Yeah. We mean when you look at something and it kind of like looks like fuzzy or like a little like like your background. Hard. Yeah, like exactly <laughs> like, like this. It's because I don't I didn't mix my colors right. One tip I will give people, though, who are doing social media, if you are going to pick your own colors again, pick a dark color. So, for example, here we could do like let's just say we have like a like a purple like a dark purple, and then you want to pick something like a gold, those are going to contrast well. And if you want something to fall in the middle, it's always safe to use something. I would never go more than three colors. If it was me, because it's going to deter attention, it's going to look like you're not going to know busy. where I should go. Exactly. So you mm -hmm. can always add, add like a white if it's a dark background or like a dark gray if it's a light background. Or if you have like a, like a dark purple and you're using a white, you can always use like a medium purple to kind of have something that falls back because white is going to stand out a lot on dark. But if you have a medium color, it's kind of like a secondary 
information color, I guess you can call it, yeah. where it doesn't really stand out, but it's there for like almost like a subtext. So I would say don't go more than three colors, including white and black. And if you do have a middle color, make sure that's your like subtext. That's, you know, and you can even pick it from whatever your darkest or lightest background color is, and then just go like 50% of that and then kind of toy around with it and see how it looks. But that's a good way to kind of have like a balance. Yeah, I think that's just excellent advice. Your lightest version and your darkest version as your contrast and then a middle as the subtext and uh, three colors max. Um, there's so there's like so like I'm I'm guilty of this, too. I'm like, oh, well, I'm conveying conveying 15 different things. So my bullet points are going to be one color. My background is going to be like 50 different colors of, uh, you know, of the scene because it's a picture of something. Even my even yesterday, I posted about the uh, train disaster in Ohio, and I really wanted to use an image of the train disaster because it's obvious, right? But I wanted to start adding a lot of colors, and uh, I showed my wife, and she's like, "Honestly, you should just do a black bar at the top and then the white text." I didn't <laughs> technically listen to her, and I posted it anyways. But I did, I did do the outline. But what I did do is I followed the principle where I changed the image so that all the smoke from the fire was at the top. So it was really, really dark. And then, you know, I did the text as contrasting. That it was much yeah. easier to see rather than just trying to do that. And I, I think in terms of a design principle, one of the things I've learned in terms of presentation styles is like always remembering the audience of what you try to convey. One problem that we have in terms of just this is kind of off topic a little bit is we feel as we have to put all the text, all the things on the screen. If you're trying to talk about the train disaster in your presentation, it's it sounds so much better. It looks so much better by just having the picture only on the screen and then talking because you're there to present anyways. You're not there for people to read the screen. Right. And um, that's like one, one tip I always give people is if you're going to have pictures in your presentation... Don't put any text on that picture. Don't even try to explain what's on the picture because you will be naturally doing that and it should really be a cue to you anyway. So contrasting colors, you know, making sure whatever the focal point is, you know, i.e. the picture and or the backgrounds, really, really great information so far um, on that. In terms of hierarchy, um, one problem I've seen is that, uh, that we need to address is fonts, font types, and... Uh, consistency of font people forget often they're like oh I, I wrote this up in word default is you know Arial, for example they forget that there might be a brand standard for their organization or even worse you know if it's government it's like always times new roman and it's like it like it like dies right, right. so what are some options where maybe a professional font that you could you could give where you know, they're like, hey, try these different options where it might make your publications pop a little bit more. Yeah, that's a great point. I think um, there's a lot of things to kind of touch on here, but <clears throat> much like color, I mean, just to kind of tie it back real quick, you know, if you have, I think you mentioned, John, like if you have every color of the rainbow in your presentation, if you if you have, you know, a red here and a blue here and a green here and all, all these different colors, like we go back to talking about color as emotion so like what yeah. does that communicate it communicates a whole slew of emotions and it's almost like that thing where if you you know it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf like if you just keep 
uh, if everything's important, then nothing's important, you know? So if everything's colorful, then nothing matters anymore. Mm. And I think it's similar with, <clears throat> excuse me, typography as well. Um, you know, if you have 50 different fonts and nothing is important, nothing stands out. And I think that's kind of what you're referring to when you talk about hierarchy is what, like, what information is most important, what information falls under other information, and, and how are you communicating that? Mm. And hierarchy and font choices are all part of that. Um, you asked specifically about like different types of uh, font options, and you also mentioned Arial. And CJ and I always kind of just giggle whenever we hear that, you know, or Times New Roman or Comic Sans is the famous one, yeah. because those are the defaults. And the thing is, everybody knows that they're, they're the defaults. And so then there's this sort of subconscious communication that you're doing by just using the default, you know, which is like you're not putting the effort into it to make it designed, to make it interesting. Hmm. There's also all kinds of technical and scientific reasons why Arial and Times New Roman aren't great fonts. So you Please can... explain them. Okay. So let me break it down. No, I'm just kidding. Uh... <laughs> no, please do your own research because... Uh, if you're interested, it's very fascinating. But um, that being said, you know, we always encourage and we like to use different typefaces. Um, and by different, we mean unconventional typefaces. That doesn't mean you have to use something that looks like, you know, a bunch of pictograms of people, you know, for as letters or anything like mm. ridiculously creative like that. It just means like, you want to find something that's simple and effective and it should complement the design. It should, oh. it shouldn't, um, it shouldn't do the heavy lifting for the design. Um, so for example, you know, we were talking about some, some brands, uh, before this. And one idea that just comes to mind is like Yeti, you know, for like the Yeti mugs or the Yeti, mm. um, you know, merchandise coolers and things. Um, their brand is very, very simple. Uh, arguably maybe too simple, but like it just, it's just a bold word and it's just their name in, in a bold typeface, but that boldness, it doesn't have to be in the shape of a mug. It doesn't have to be in the shape of a cooler, you know, to communicate the idea. The, the message I think that it's communicating is like, it's sturdy, it's bold, it's reliable those types of things. And mm. so, you know, we subconsciously kind of read into those things without having to see a picture of it. You know, we don't have to see it literally represented. We can just see some of those defining characteristics um, in typography that communicates the idea. So mm. um, as you're looking for type options, which by the way, if you're looking for a specific resource, Google Fonts is a great free resource for fonts. Yeah, it's great. Um, they have lots of great options. Um, but again, you know, just don't go too crazy with all the decorative uh, typefaces. Um, but, you know, just look for something that's clean. Mm. Readability is also going to be huge because so many uh, logos try to be so clever that they end up, uh, you know, making their, their name hard to read. Mm. And there's a lot of great examples out there of brands that people are like reading incorrectly. And they're like, what does that even mean? You know, what is this, what does this company do? Kia. Kia is a great example of that. It looks yeah. like a backwards N like an yeah. A. K -N. Like, <laughs> K N. like what's right, K N? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, exactly. And and that's an example of trying to be a little too clever with your typography to the point where you're sacrificing readability. And readability should always be the priority. Um, so readability first, and then finding something that delicately represents the idea and complements uh, a logo or you know whichever medium you're working in. I love that skit from N uh, NSL. Uh, sorry, uh, SNL. About what? Well, see, I thought you're. You I thought you're intentionally the, uh, the, the virus. <laughs> in the NFL this morning. So that's. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were talking about papyrus and how it's using yes. the avatar. Uh, right. That is one of the funniest skits to me. Yeah. Because he talks about like there was no effort, right? They just used right. something that was already made. However, it does kind of convey the message, right? <laughs> so yeah. um, maybe not overthinking it, but it is a great, great skit. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. But um, yeah, using papyrus for uh, avatar. Um, and it can be distracting too, you know, if, if people yeah. do recognize it. Like, you know, they might just be distracted by it instead of it effectively communicating what they wanted to. Um, yeah. Some tips I would have for people who aren't designers. So with that being said, I think designers have a way of like manipulating type to look good on like how on where we design. But if you're doing stuff for yourself and you, you have limited resources, like you're not fluent in Adobe programs or any of that stuff, I would say one Google fonts, like Landon said, is a great place to go. Um, stick with something that's a, like a clean sans serif, but make sure it has multiple weights so you can emphasize things that you need to. So some of my favorites, very simple. And this is for like body copy specifically, like look for open. You got to use vernacular that they'll under body copy. All I heard was body count. And now I'm thinking like mass casualty incident. Can you explain like it, it, yeah. when we say copy, like that's like, so, so when you have, any sort of document, you'll have a header that kind of emphasizes what the certain sections about and body copy is like all the copy that follows header is basically the, the lowest. Yeah. All the text, all the, all the content that's not a header or a call out. So for mm. things like that, you know, Google fonts, you could use like open sans, which has like 10 different weights and, it, and it's really legible. Um, you mm. can use like Roboto, which is another good one. It has like four or five weights, I think. Mm. Um, uh, Montserrat, which has like two or three, which is my favorite font. It's just so easy to use everywhere. Um, mm. Lado or Poppins is very popular. Um, those are fonts that are like clean. They pretty much work wherever you want. And then what you can do is if you want to try and get a little creative, you can use like a different font for your headers that is more interesting, that kind of ties mm. more into your brand. But I think for safety, and, and don't be afraid to go under 12 point font. Like not everybody has that bad. Yeah, we typically do 10. 10 is standard yeah. for copy in our in Doberman, funny enough. Yeah. yeah. So my advice to people is go look at those just four fonts, play around with them. Don't don't feel like you're stuck on 10 or 12. Go to 10, you know, make your headers 12, 13. Um, mm -hmm. but kind of play with that hierarchy and they, you'll start to see some visual interest happening. And then uh that's a just a good starting point. And try not to do one of my things that I personally try not to do is don't ever go more than two fonts at three at most mm. because then it starts getting muddy and messy and you're not sure where you're where you're you're going but that's the point of the weights so mm. like if you have a header font for your subheads you can use all open sans because it has bold extra bold italic regular you know all these fonts that you can use that look cohesive so it doesn't look like it's three or four different things so just just experiment with weights and stuff like that rather than four or five different fonts 
And let me give let me give people an example of this in the real world. Um, when we do memos, the a hierarchy of our memos is the title is all caps, I believe, 18. Then we go to and bold. Then when we do like the to and from, it is bold, 12, from and to, bold, right, black. And then standard copy for the title for that titling, I think is also 12 for that, including the subject and bold. But once we get into the copy, it's all 10. And um, like we have additional hierarchies that we follow. Even within that, we, you know, subheadings, uh, bullet points, all that stuff. And we follow the same plan. People, because I'm aware of this, and this is like the one really hard thing about design is like once you start noticing it, it's like really hard not to notice it. And it's like hard to be nice about it because like if we have a new hire and they haven't learned how serious I am about this, then they'll do something and they'll just either not look at our creative brief or they won't they won't look at our branding operations plan, if you will. And they they will just like, oh, that looks cool. I'll do some like italicies, random places. I'll highlight this. I'll add this. Bo- it's it's all it's like I'm I'm like having a seizure and I'm like, no, we we follow this plan every single time. And the reason why we follow it every single time is because it looks professional It matches our whole branding perspective, like the readiness lab uses a uh, new house grotesque. And, um, typically, um, it is all lower by the way. What? Great font, by the way. Oh, it was great. Font. <laughs> um, when I came up with new house grotesque, um, so many years ago, no, it's it, weird. It says here is, uh, designed by someone else, but <laughs> no, the uh just staring at us again yeah just staring um you gotta watch the video for this yeah there, you know that is uh for branding because it's a little bit more modern and it's supposed to be uh low-key and anybody can enter we don't typically do a lot of capitalization so like everything is uh lowercase on the website uh, we do have bold when we want to call things out i mean looking at this shirt for example right this is a, this is this shirt if you're watching the podcast is even following the brand consistency there of um, I create and live um, are not what we really want to call out. We're calling out emergency plants and lives depend on it. So it's like, it's just like following this uh, methodology that um, the weights as CJ is talking about the branding, the logo, the logo is one part of that, but everything should follow within that. The font that's in the logo I would say you should use that font most likely in all your branding. And so as you do that, your materials without having a lot more effort, once you figure out what your hierarchy is and what your standards are, now all of a sudden it's already looking so much more professional just by following that. And you don't have to overthink it. And that there you go. You have a huge win. You're, you have your color weight, you have your hierarchy, you have your standards. And now you have the super professional thing. And, people actually want to look at it more than half a second right yeah because as you uh you know all of those things that you mentioned um go back to what we you know talked about at the beginning like uh communication it all leads to clear communication clearer communication so you know being able to, to read things clearly uh not be distracted by 50 different fonts 50 different colors all mm. of these things like all contribute to, to clear communication yeah, and speaking of communication, I want to call this one out too, and it's kind of an off thing. 
but um, there are certain fields that get a lot of feedback. There's a lot of fields that don't. One of the fields that gets a ton of feedback it, are designers. Like the graphic design, I have been uh, under the gun with um, understanding what, trying to understand what this process is because I think it will help me out a lot. And like in sciences, it's like you apply one chemical to the other chemical and you should have the reaction. There you go. Right. Math is another way. Design is so much more of an art form that everybody, especially the amateur, right, will provide a lot of feedback because one, we don't know. Here's a, another really good example. When I thought of logos before, especially for emergency management, I would always go back to a mascot because when in government, we have eagles, we have like, we have the image. You look at the DOD, they always have like a mascot. But there's also logos and branding. And so it took a long time for my wife to be like, a mascot's not a logo. You know, <laughs> you're not going to be dressing up like a freaking dog running out, you know, yeah. every time you meet with somebody. And so trying to understand, like not overdoing it too. But that's really hard for public safety because we're used to government seals and we're used to the, the those kind of imageries. You know, even Georgetown, you look at the Georgetown logo. Oh my gosh, it is. It was made in 1776, but it's also so complex. It's beautiful, but it is complex. Yeah. And so there's there's just a lot of things from a feedback perspective only. Emergency managers have to deal with feedback and they have to learn to be able to take feedback. How do you guys manage the stress of putting a lot of effort into something and somebody potentially saying, I absolutely hate it and knowing that they could be wrong, but sometimes they could be right. Right. So like, how do you, how do you manage that from a professional standpoint or a personal standpoint? I love this question. <laughs> you yeah. I think rage at home and you're like, I haven't learned, figured it out yet. Yeah. Yeah. CJ shakes his fist, but it's under <laughs> the table so they can't see it on zoom. You know, there's a joke um, about that, but we're going <laughs> to, I don't know how he knows this. I didn't I mean know. it like that. Um, no, I think there's, it's definitely challenging because, you know, um, I think our field, people think that it's subjective, like uh, like art is, you know. And design is really different in that it's it's really not subjective. It's it's more objective than people think, because there are so many design principles that we take into account, things that have been, you know, all but scientifically proven to be effective ways of communicating. Mm. You know, a lot of the things that we talked about today are included, but people still don't view it as being, um, you know, objective. And so they, they, um, they, they look at it as, as being subjective. Um, and it's hard for us to have to sort of educate people every time on why we've made choices, but going back to our, you know, creative brief conversation, that is the way that we are able to sort of defend that, um, you know, our decisions. So, you know, and it's not all defense. It's not all us just saying, well, we did this because, you know, we know what we're talking How about. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it, it does help us to have a firmer uh, ground to stand on and say, you know, these are these this is why we made these decisions because mm -hmm. of these principles. Um, that being said, you know, we do receive a lot of feedback that doesn't really apply or we explain why we did something. And frankly, people don't care. You know, and they say, well, sounds like an emergency manager again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they say, you know, that's that's great. But I 
personally really like red. Um, and so in those instances, I think what we try to do is say, um, which is not incorrect, but you know, we say we'll consider it. And it's, it's an honest answer because we will consider it. And sometimes, you know, people have great suggestions that we didn't think of. And I think we're humble enough to say like, yeah, I didn't think of that. Maybe we'll try it, you know, Mm. but, um, that's why we say we'll consider it because we do in some cases take it back and try it. And if it doesn't work, then we, you know, tried it, Hmm. but, um, we do consider it. It's just, you know, what we try not to do is say, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll do that. Or, you know, like agree to it right off the bat because that can lead to problems later. And Hmm. at the end of the day, the other tricky thing about our field is our names are behind the design. So if, you may sign off on it. You may think it's wonderful, but if we think this is these are all poor design choices that you know we've now had to make, now that's our reputation that's kind of out there, and people will see that and say, "Oh, wow, you know, Noble did that." So um, there's like a there's a fine balance, you know. It's it's definitely like give and take, and again, that's why we say we'll consider things as opposed to just right off the bat agreeing to do it because we do need to sit down and look at it um you know against the creative brief and make sure that it makes sense do you every once in a while are you like "Ooh, i know that one's not going on the website as an <laughs> oh yeah yeah yes we definitely have there's have nothing from doberman on there which is super weird <laughs> uh, well we've done oh maybe gosh, two logos there, freeze, on there? So. there has to be something on there um i, th- you- I think we have uh well, not necessarily doberman but we have movie aar up there yeah movie r yeah yeah um, um yeah sorry yeah Oh, I was going to say the one thing that is, I think, important. And if somehow there's creatives listening to this too, this is vital. It's not personal. Like, it's not like more often than not, I would say 99% of the time, clients aren't saying, CJ, you did a bad job. It's, I don't like where this is going. So it's not like, it's not like, you know, it's not like it's you. It's just that they don't like what they're seeing. So like you, you almost have to take the emo. You, you need to work emotionally because that's kind of like where you get your ideas and like, you have to put yourself in the shoes of an audience and all that stuff. But then you have to take emotion out mm. when it's time for critiques. And that's where constructive criticism yeah. is vital because like in anything, like if you're a parent, you got to understand when you're, your three-year-old's like i hate this food they're not saying you're a bad cook they're just not they don't want the food you know what i mean like they're gonna eat the next time so uh it's the same thing it's like you got to understand when it's constructive criticism or when it's like verbal abuse i guess you know it's like sometimes it's, it's just about the project so like it's not you just take yourself out of it for a minute put yourself in their shoes and try to understand that being said the client's not always right you know like if if like landon said if you go back to the creative brief that's when you say like well, these are why I made my decisions and this is what we agreed upon. Not because you like it, you know, like the worst feedback you can get from any client is, oh, my client is going to like this. So let's do this. I'm like, is your client the audience for their brand though? Like, like you need to really think about your audience. I'm your audience right now, not your client. Like, and I feel like more often than not me and like the the average person is going to have a good opinion on your brand because that's who you want to impress. You know, you want to put an impression on. So your client might feel a certain way, but like, that's where that communication comes in. Like, I understand what you want, but again, take a step back and think about what everybody else wants and who you're 
selling to unless this brand is just for you then in which case sure we can make it whatever you want yeah well you sorry. Uh, sorry john uh you hit the nail on the head there though cj like uh, you know i think the key there you said you know when you get constructive feedback or maybe it was john that said that but you don't always get constructive feedback and mm -hmm. sometimes you do get um you know subjective feedback that's just like you know i don't like that or you know it reminds me of something else but again uh you know not to sound like a broken record but going back to the creative brief is where that's going to be the most important because with the subjective unhelpful feedback or biased feedback that's where um you know you kind of realign everybody and say look you know here's the objective that we're trying to accomplish here are the goals you set out so does you know this effectively communicate that mm. and you know we're not always right we're not always going to get it right we don't always hit it right on the head you know we're not saying that we're Speak geniuses for that, that <laughs> <laughs> we're not saying we're geniuses that get it right every time but when uh you know when we're confident that our design is is based in uh you know an objective or based in accomplishing an objective then we can confidently say this is this is why we did this mm. and sometimes you know people again hear that and don't always agree with it either so um, it's not a guaranteed, you know, success tactic, but it does uh, it does help protect us a little bit. I'm just going to come full circle here for a second, um, and I know we're we're out of time here, but um, I want to cover really very quickly a couple different things. One, that emergency manager who's listening in right now, who's like, okay, you've explained this in kind of a strategic level perspective of creating uh, establishing a creative brief. What are some really basic principles so they say, okay, I'm going to write this down right now. This is how I build out my creative brief. What do they need to write down? Because we talk about objectives, you know, like explain that just a little bit more detail for that audience member. Yeah, I think there's um, objective is the biggest one that we start with. So that that's right there at the top. We also break down audience. Mm. Um key deliverables sometimes, uh, depending on, you know, what the client's asking for. And we try to be as specific as possible here with sizes and quantities and things like that. Um, but we also talk about things like tone, like what's the tone you want to convey or, you know, one creative way that people sometimes do this is they talk about it in terms of like a car or a restaurant or food, you know, like if your brand was a, a car, what kind of car would it be? Or if you're, brand was, uh, you know, a dish, what dish, what ingredients would it include, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. And it's, it's, it might sound silly, but those things do help, uh, spark, like they, they help to pinpoint characteristics about the brand that are otherwise kind of hard to pinpoint. You know, we, we actually just kind of ran into this with a client that we asked them, uh, you know, for what they wanted to communicate. And they just kind of kept coming back with like, adjectives about like what the logo was so they're like you know western or something like that and we're mm. like okay but like what you know what are you trying to communicate to people and they're like that we're here <laughs> it's like you know may maybe that's one of the things mm. but like what what are the things that you want to really like what what do you want people to leave with so i mm. think um i know we gave a few examples or i gave a few examples and there's a, a lot more that you can include in creative briefs but at the end of the day i think it's getting drilling down into 
like how do you want to be perceived by people how do you want them to look at your brand and what do you want them to feel because going back to what a brand is it really is just about feeling like you know when you go to the san diego zoo and you're had that feeling of excitement it's because of a combination of things but that feeling of excitement is what you want to accomplish so you know look at your brand uh, from that perspective yeah the, the two things the two important things in my opinion that i could add to that too are like i've been preaching know who your target audience is too because if you understand that you're going to have a whole pool of information to pull from and mm. and feelings and emotions and colors and fonts and all that stuff and then know who your competitors are because even if you're a one-off you're going to have people who do similar things even if it's not the same mm. and i'm not saying like oh like size them up but your competitors are obviously doing something right so figure out what they're doing right figure out what they could be doing better and do that. Like that's how you, that's how you compete. So Mm. you need to know those two things too. know who your audience is and know who your competitors are and really learn the ins and outs of both of them. And from a design perspective, knowing your competitors, you know, one, one piece of that too is knowing what, how to differentiate yourself from your competitors design wise. I mean, I think a lot of us probably know about the Olympic logo scandal uh, several years ago, but, huh. you know, somebody accidentally ripped off the an Olympic, uh, a logo for the Olympics and uh, got in trouble the for Tokyo it. Olympics, yeah. Right, yeah. And so, um, you know, it's that's that's where research comes, you know, is, is the most important. Like, see huh. what competitors are doing so that you can avoid that too, because the last thing you want to be is a is a copycat too. Yeah, so let's um, just rounding this out now, finishing this up. Thank you again for explaining that. Um, You know, we are looking at, uh, you guys have done so many logos for us and so many brands for us, especially because of the podcast network. You've done the EM weekly relaunch, which is like infinitely better than what it was. And it, it conveys a message. You did the movie AAR podcast for us, which we need to do season two at some point. Um, and it perfectly conveyed to the message. They're totally two different brands. One was supposed to be like late night at a bar, two guys talking, you know, Zach and co-host and people could listen in. And it feels like that, like he's comedians and not to the comedy club, you know, the neon sign thing. Movie R was supposed to be more towards families and kids and more adventurous and movies. And, it, you know, and it, it has a pirate feel. And, and at one point, I got to find it, but I did buy a recorder. I am going to change the music for that. <laughs> All that Looking stuff goes into play. At the same time, I think about three logos. Actually, I'm going to back up a, a little bit more. You talked about um, how you can be different. If if I'm going to do a challenge for my emergency management friends or anybody who's really listening to this podcast right now, Google FBI, click images. Google uh, law enforcement, Google police, fire, EMS, uh, doctors, uh, accountants, dispatch, and basically any other field, and you will see image after image after image with the same feelings, the same types, the same images, even the same logos. They're industry-wide. Now Google emergency management. It is weirdly embarrassing. You get like... You know, we 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 kind of went through a rebranding with DHS twenty years ago. So now there's five phases instead of four phases, and there's the disaster life cycle, and there's civil defense, which doesn't make any sense anymore. Even though we have a nod to them because that's kind of the history of EM. We had somebody make it on PowerPoint. I'm pretty sure the the four stars and the EM, and so it's like it was all over the place. 
And so if we as an industry cannot determine what we look like, what we feel like, what we are presented as, it is no wonder to me that so many of my emergency management friends around the country, even globally, when they hire Doberman or they work with us or they just chat at conferences, they have a problem with stakeholders. Because stakeholders, if we can't determine what we look like, if we can't determine our own feelings, then they absolutely cannot Right. We have, you know, there's I've been trying to kill this conversation, but it's like, oh, I don't want to define who we are because that might limit what we can do. No, if you can't define who you are, people will not have see value in who you are and what you can actually bring. Rather, it's good to say, hey, here's a baseline. And off that baseline, let's you can make it unique from there based off of your needs and your audience types. And so with the readiness lab, comparative to. Um, the civil defense logo and what I call the PowerPoint logo. Um, I, uh, hopefully that makes sense. The EM with the stars that um, is kind of popular. Um, uh, if you guys could help me out here and I'm, I'll put it up on the screen for people a little bit later. Can you talk about maybe why civil defense logo doesn't make sense for us anymore? Why the EM stars doesn't really make sense. And maybe why the readiness lab icon, which, uh, to not your credit, unfortunately, you guys didn't make, but you're supporting us now and you're seeing what we are, we're trying to do with that. You're really the masterminds of all of our, of our branding now and our, our merchandise. Why does civil defense, why should we not go back to civil defense? Why should we not use the stars? And why should we use the icon? Can you talk about that for maybe two minutes before we, we jump out of here? Yeah. Um, so the civil defense logo in its defense <laughs> was made in like it was made in like 1939 and it was good it was a good logo for its times in terms it's pretty of cool actually it's a cool looking logo yeah yeah and for cds exactly <laughs> uh, but now it just feels a little bit dated and in today's world with brands that better construe with the logo what a logo and a brand is it just kind of lacks any sort of feeling or emotion other mm-hmm. than eliciting the cold war cold war era that it was from so Which for we're example, about to be into again. Shoot. So you're proving day. Should we just change? Why can't we just change, for example, on the civil defense logo? Why can't we change it from C D to E M? Like it there's a yeah. there's a question there, right? And hopefully we can't. Yeah. I mean, the the one thing about it is before researching it, I would have never guessed what it was for, but it, I knew it felt there military and vintage. So uh, without yeah. any context, I would have no idea what it what it was about as, as an outsider. I mean, I'm sure if you were an emergency manager, you knew what the triangle stood for in the circle, but I also believe that's why so many of the biggest brands, uh, like the biggest brands do like a refresh and not like a whole new brand where they update the logo rather than start over. Mm-hmm. Um, the current emergency management logo feels to me, it feels a little too random. Like I the understand the three, mean- the three stars, I know they're like the, what are they, the, the three-step civil defense philosophy or something like that, right? Yeah, but, and we don't even have three anymore. We have, it, it, So it's like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and I, I only know that because I looked it up. Like, otherwise, I'm like, it just looks like you just mm-hmm. added them into the swoop, you know? But the stars mm-hmm. and the swoosh feel a bit clip artish, you know? Like, there's no meaning or feeling or thought behind them. And I think the idea of, of like italicizing the EM makes sense. It makes you think of like movement and urgency. But the tagline on that one is like super small and it won't scale. And the swoosh lines, like mm-hmm. if you look closely, they're inconsistently weighted at the top and the bottom. So there's a lot of issues with that logo. 
and again, yeah, as an I that one in, too. For John's, all those reasons, John's grinning because you're just you know ripping it apart. He's like, I hate that going. logo. So, it looks so <laughs> ugly. It does. It look. What does it even mean? Like, I, I think, think that's. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways. Is like, yeah. what does it represent? You know, it kind of goes back to like what we've been talking about this whole time. And I think yeah. that one and the civil defense logos. If if people have to do work to learn what your logo means, then it's not an effective logo. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. And like the the icon for EM, and again we could put it on. It's also on my shirt, but it does look like quotes. We talk about communication. We talk about collaboration. It looks like a hazard symbol. It's it's simple. It can be used anywhere. It's cyclical, right? Like it. When when I ask people who are not in emergency management, we do a dynamic populations course. We did this in Orlando, and I I show them. I said, what is, what does this mean? Oh, it looks like a hazard symbol. It looks like you know revolving. It looks like things are always happening they're naturally able to say the feelings that I want from them on it. Same thing with the Doberman logo, you know, the, the triple D in the middle is kind of a nod to a dog's ear, but it's an arrow pointed forward. We're, we're moving forward that the, the, um, the seal is also cyclical and has all the dots of like all the different things we do. And again, uh, even Doberman, I don't own dogs. I'm not, it's not, I'm not a dog grooming company. And that is one thing I've, I've come up with. But when people ask me why Doberman, I say, what is a Doberman to you in terms of emergency management? They, they say always the same two things, which is why I chose the name safety and security. Right. I want people to think that Doberman can help protect people. And so I think it's important as people think about branding and what they call their emergency management organization, because that's something that they deal with sometimes as well. Are you an agency? Are you a group? Are you this? Are you that? Like thinking about everything, every aspect of that really, really helps people out. And I know we're like way over time here, but this is a super fascinating topic to me. And quite frankly, the field needs to learn about it. And so like, it's just a uh, really great call outs. As we are wrapping up, as I've said that, it's like the most Midwestern conversation here <laughs> ever. We've said by 10 times. Uh, what is your final call out to everybody who's listening to emergency services across the board? What do you hope they walk away with from this episode? I would say, I, I think I just hope that they have a greater understanding of the importance of design um, just at a high level and all of the thinking that goes into it. If I had a soapbox, I would stand on it and just tell everybody that uh, because I, I really think um and, and again, this isn't meant to sound, you know, uh, like self-aggrandizing, but I think like our, our industry is really, um, it, it's, a, it's a little undervalued, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I don't think people truly understand what goes into it. And we're not, you know, um, brain surgeons, of course, but like, there's still a lot of thinking and strategy that goes into it. So I think my biggest takeaway that I would uh, hope people get from this is to put that strategy, strategic thinking and, and planning into their design. Mm -hmm. You know, just give it a second look, um, take a look at, at each piece and then look at it holistically and see how does it, you know, what does it communicate and how is it coming across to people? Yeah. And I would build off of that. And I would say, I think with any, good business, you're going to have to invest in your business. So if you have the funds, just invest in a creative to kind of help set the boundaries for you. If you can't afford a designer forever, 
that's fine. But like afford one to be able to set you up to succeed at least because I would never hire, I would never assume I'm an attorney and try to write all my legal paperwork for clients myself. There's no way because I would get sued and lose everything. So you don't have to hire an attorney every day, but at least to set the boundary for a proposal, you know, to send to clients, trust the experts. That's, that's, that's what I'm going to say. Even if it's just finding five or 10 minutes of a designer's time to talk them, you know, like mm. do something, but that's what we're here for. Like we study this, like we do this for a living and we're passionate about it and we want to help. So like reach out to the experts and at least get a baseline for you to succeed because otherwise you're just cutting corners and it's going to show. Yeah. yeah. Ult ultimately the, an amateur will look like an amateur. Now the, the hope of this podcast is that we all can up up our game a little bit. Uh, at the same time, Speaking of Noble, I have been so impressed by everything you guys have done. Your team, you know, Aaron included, who is not on this podcast, and it is so effective. And we have presented to you guys so many times. We've talked to our clients about this, like, hey, hire Noble. And I, I don't care about other companies, right? Like, you're my company. So, like, it's so important to say, hey, uh, I got a grant here for mass notifications this is absolutely within that grant uh, process. Let me hire Noble. Uh, you know, let me hire Creative, but Noble, Noble, I'm going to say that one more time, <laughs> but hire them and say, hey, I have to establish my creative brief. I have to establish my brand standards, even if they can't afford or, or, or sustain, you know, long term, whatever. You guys can help them set standards and maybe templates. Say, hey, when you, when you want to do your preparedness fair, you got it. When you need to send out, something about a, a pending disaster you got it and you know how helping them put that together topographies and understanding the message because you'll ask questions that they won't be thinking about themselves and so if you have a mass notification um a grant if you have a community engagement grant if you have recovery funds if you're going to do um any kind of like town hall meeting or any of that stuff putting on a conference unfortunately don't trust uh, your PowerPoint skills. Like you should hire a professional and it should be a very easy pitch to emergency managers because we are constantly having to fight that uphill battle as well saying, Hey, I understand that you are a stakeholder in this, but you do not have the skill set to do emergency management. I have been, I'm a professional. I've been, I've been learning about this for a while. I go to school for this. The same thing should be true of you in design. And if we want to be master, uh, you know, communicators, then absolutely we should hire master designers and um, and really look at, at that from your, your perspective. So again, Landon and CJ, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for talking to me for a really long time and letting me do the Midwest <laughs> goodbye here. And uh, maybe we'll have you on sometime. Hopefully from the audience, we can get people. It'd be really fun for people to upload their logos in like the comment <laughs> section on LinkedIn or something. We can just see like if they're good, bad or ugly or whatever. <laughs> rate my logo uh, dot com or something I don't constructive know. feedback don't forget yeah, yeah whatever let's we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be kind we'll be kind yeah no but it, it would be interesting right like everybody upload if you're listening to this podcast go on to linkedin upload you can upload images there upload in the comment section your logos and let's just see what we we come across with the board are we right are we wrong have we misstepped I'm going to say we're probably right because I have never been wrong my whole life. So <laughs> um, we'll just take it from there. Thanks again, guys. And yeah, thank uh, you. Our for our audience, job. 
Yep. Like, subscribe, and we'll see you for the next one. Peace.